Tom is going to continue his series of teaching on the Spirit. There are five scriptures this morning. The very first one, Genesis 1, 1 through 3, is very familiar. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Genesis 2, then the Lord God formed man of dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Psalm 104, the psalmist praises God for his faithful care of all the beasts on the earth. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up, you open your hand, and they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered quickly and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great goodness. Thank you for your word that you have given to mankind. Thank you for your spirit that renews us that know your Savior. We praise you. We ask you to bless this time for your glory, and we pray in your name. Amen. Good morning. Once again, our worship time this morning uh, just marvelously set the stage for the passages and the truth that we're looking at this morning, the God of new beginnings. Um, Last Sunday, we saw that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. He is the third person of the Trinity, our triune God. He is fully and eternally God, co-equal with the Father and the Son. We saw that the three persons of the Trinity have forever enjoyed perfect 
relationship and fellowship and communion in what, what one writer, Fred Sanders, calls a triune fellowship of eternal love. As we pondered how measureless a gift it is that God has drawn us who believe in Christ into that, into that fellowship of eternal love by putting us in Christ, uh, we, we recognize that it is uh, as well with our souls as well gets. Now and forever. Now this morning we're going to consider the Holy Spirit's work in creation and recreation. That whole theme of new beginnings is, again, is marvelously pertinent. The Old Testament Hebrew word ruach that we translate as spirit is the same word that is translated in some contexts as breath or wind. The, the exact same, interestingly, is true of the New Testament word for spirit, which is pneuma. It also can be translated breath or wind. There are two threads common to all of those translations, spirit, breath, wind, and those two threads are invisibility and action. Invisibility and action or movement. Breath and wind are invisible except in their effect. But both involve movement, action. In the Bible, when God sends forth His breath, His Spirit, He is always acting. He is always moving in His creation to accomplish good purposes. And the person of the Trinity, by whom such interventions of the invisible God and His creation are accomplished, is overwhelmingly the person of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is something that, that as we proceed through this, through this series, we will see more and more vividly. The Bible calls the Son of God the Word. The Word of God. The Bible calls the Spirit of God the breath of God. The Holy Spirit creates and recreates. He creates and He gives life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love what John said, those first four words, the most important words in, in existence. In the beginning, God. And that's the first verse in the Bible. As God's work of creation unfolds in the first chapter of the Bible, the words, and God said, tell us how God creates. The way God created was by speaking all things into existence. The first words of John's Gospel reach all the way back to that very first verse of the Bible to make it clear that the word by which or by whom God the Father spoke all things into being, that word is God the Son. So when we see in Genesis, and God said, that means that, that God the Son is creating. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. But even before God began speaking all things into existence by the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 2, tells us that the third person of the Trinity was right there in that same work of creation. 
As we just saw, Genesis 1-2 says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving, literally hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, the Holy Spirit wasn't just hanging out, watching stuff happen while God created all things, any more than Jesus was just hanging out. The word translated moving or hovering is a fascinating word in the Old Testament. It carries a strong connotation of purpose, purposefulness, of intent, of action, of caring action. Hovering over in order to watch over, to guard, to protect, and to care for. Listen to how the same word, hovering, is used in Deuteronomy 32.11 in reference to God's faithful care for His people Israel as He led them through the wilderness. I'll read verses 9-12 through 12 for context here. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the allotment of His inheritance. He found Him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. Listen to all the, all the verbs here. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of, pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and he caught them and he carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him and there was no foreign God with him. Amen. It's a lot of activity. We'll see in a few minutes that the, the, the person of the Trinity who thus guarded and guided Israel through the wilderness and cared for their every need was the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in Isaiah 63 momentarily. But long before the exodus and the wilderness wanderings of the, of the, the Israelites, the Holy Spirit was right there at creation, working in perfect concert together with the Father and the Son. I'm convinced that uh, Psalm 33, 6 speaks of both the, the Son and the Holy Spirit with this one very concise declaration. By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. The word of God and the breath of God, both involved in creating. Okay, so who created all things? The Father? The Son or the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you, you, you're right ahead of me there. The Bible's answer, marvelous answer is yes. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God is the creator, sustainer, life giver. All three persons of the Trinity, if, if, we, don't get any, if we don't know anything else about the tri, our triune God, we need to know this. All three persons of the Trinity are inseparably active in all that they do. They were inseparably active in creation just as in everything that God does. The phrase division of labor, division of labor does not adequately apply to God because he is not divided in his labor. Now the Bible does present distinctions among the three persons. My brother Al sorted me out a little bit lovingly uh, last Sunday. I had said several times last week, distinctions between the persons of the Trinity. He's right. That's not good wording. There's nothing between the persons of the Trinity. Distinctions among the persons of the Trinity when it comes to their activity. A key example of such a distinction is that it was God the Son who took on our humanness, who became forever incarnate. The same is not said of God the Father or of God the Spirit. 
In the same way, it was the Son who died in our place on the cross and was bodily raised from the dead. The same is not said of God the Father or of God the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit whom the Son asked the Father to send to be our helper, our paraclete, after He, the Son, returned to His his place of glory at the right hand of His Father. He said, I have to leave in order that He may come. Those are very real distinctions in the activity of the three persons of the Godhead. But in all of those actions, all three persons are involved. And we're going to, as we consider the work of the Holy Spirit, we'll see this over and over. None of the three persons of the Trinity ever does anything apart from the activity of the other two. God is three in one, not three in three. <laughs> so we're going to see a whole lot of overlap in the activity of the, of the persons as we consider the work of the Holy Spirit. Not, not a little overlap here and a little overlap there, but a whole lot of overlap everywhere. Okay? The fact that both the Son and the Holy Spirit are explicitly said to create does not contradict at all John's, the Apostle's Spirit-inspired assertion that apart from Him, the Word, the Son, nothing came into being that has come into being. In our triune God's work to create all things and to give life, God speaks all things into being by the Son, who is the eternal Word of God. And God breathes life into His creatures by the Holy Spirit, who is the breath of God. Let me say that again. In our our triune God's work to create all things and to give life, God speaks all things into being by the Spirit primarily by the Son who is the eternal Word of God, and He breathes life into His creatures, primarily by the Holy Spirit who is the eternal breath of God. Psalm 104, in that psalm, the psalmist is speaking of the beasts of the earth. And this is amazing. He says, they all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide their face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, and that's the word ruach, the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit. You take away their spirit, they expire. And they return to their dust. Now we know where that comes from, right? Genesis 2. It's not just man that was created out of the dust of the ground. It's all living beings. They expire, they return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, same Hebrew word, and they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in His works. When God created animals, the breath that He breathed into them gave them physical life. That life came from God. All life comes from God. Jesus said said in John 5 that the Father has given to him to give life to whomever he wishes. That means Jesus is the source of life, right? The Father is the source of life. The the, the Spirit is the source of life. Life doesn't just happen. Life comes from God. God gave physical life to animals, and then God made man. And according to Genesis 2, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living being. 
In Job 27.3, Job writes, Job says, For as long as life is in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor my tongue mutter deceit. Job 33.4, Elihu is speaking and he says, The Spirit, Ruach, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now when God created Adam from the dust of the ground, the life that he breathed into his image bearer wasn't merely physical life. It was spiritual life as well. That spiritual life consisted of personal relationship with God and personal knowledge of the living God. That's how mankind started before the fall. God provided super abundantly for Adam and Eve in the garden, which he had lovingly prepared for them. God withheld from his image bearers only one thing in that beautiful place, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told Adam that in the day that he ate, in the day that he ate of that fruit, he would surely die. Of course, Adam and Eve did eat of the fruit. And Adam's physical life continued for at least another 800 years after that, according to Genesis chapter 5. But the life that Adam lost on the very day that he sinned was the life of personal relationship and communion with God that God had breathed into him by the Holy Spirit. That's what he lost, and that's what we lost, all mankind. But praise God, that's not the end of mankind's story. Because the Holy Spirit also recreates and gives new life. The Holy Spirit again breathes that same spiritual life into every man, woman, and child who has died in Adam but is made alive in Jesus Christ. In a powerfully Trinitarian declaration in John 20, Verses 21 and 22, the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when, he, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Soon afterward, on the day of Pentecost, they did indeed receive the Holy Spirit. In both creation and recreation or regeneration, the life of God is breathed into man by the Holy Spirit. The life of God is breathed into man by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk in a later message about the difference between the Holy Spirit being upon men and being within, indwelling men. But for now, the point that I want to make clear is that in both Testaments, the breath of God breathed out to men is the life of God in the Spirit. The Bible places the Holy Spirit squarely in the middle of God's work of creation and of the impartation of life, while at the same time attributing the creation of all things to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Bible in both Testaments places the Holy Spirit squarely in the middle of God's work to recreate by redeeming, by making new, by giving new life. 
The one who is the breath of the living God breathes new life into those who, like Adam, deserve only death. And that's all of us. We all deserve only death. Eternal death, condemnation. In a limited and, and earthbound sense, the Holy Spirit granted new life to the nation of Israel. After 400 years of national estrangement from God and harsh bondage in Egypt, the Holy Spirit redeemed Israel. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 63, and as I do, I'll ask you to listen to what God declares about the role of the Holy Spirit in His gracious redemption of Israel as His covenant people. By the way, this is one of the, one of the only Old Testament passages that actually uses the phrase Holy Spirit rather than Spirit of God. Um, God says, I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of Yahweh. And by the way, that word, that chesed, the loving kindness of God, that always means steadfast covenant-keeping love. It's always tied to covenant. Okay? The covenant promises of God. I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of Yahweh, the praises of Yahweh, according to all that Yahweh has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence, remember that phrase, the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them and he lifted them and he carried them all the days of old. You remember in Deuteronomy 32, the whole, the, it talks about the eagle watching over its, its nest, carries and lifts and, and nurtures, cares for. So, but they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. Then his people remembered the days of old, of Moses. They said, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the depths like the horse in the wilderness? They did not stumble. As the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. This is amazing. This powerful passage in which God reminds Israel and Judah of His faithful work to redeem them out of slavery in Egypt attributes to the Holy Spirit the many miraculous interventions of God to accomplish that great deliverance. The one who did those works is described in this passage as, quote, the angel of God's presence. Now, the word angel, the root meaning of the word that we translate angel is messenger. It's messenger. I agree with Michael Horton that that phrase applies to the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I love the subtitle of his book about it's rediscovering the Holy Spirit. Here's the subtitle. God's perfecting presence 
in creation, redemption, and everyday life. That's his description of the Holy Spirit. God's perfecting presence in creation, redemption, and everyday life. All right, the root meaning of the word angel is messenger. The Spirit is called the messenger of God's presence. Beloved, you will see over and over in both Testaments the, the constant connection between the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God, especially in his dealings with his people, and the person of the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning of man's existence, the Holy Spirit has been present and active in God's creation, doing many things, but also bringing the revelation of God to man. He is the ever-present messenger of God. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit as messenger next, next time when we consider his central role in the written revelation of God. We'll talk more about the Spirit's role as the presence of God when we discuss the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a later message. But I don't want to move on yet without drawing a little more attention to this matter of the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters because he was, he was about to do a lot of things. Okay. God creates, but never to leave creation to its own devices. The deists are wrong. God is not the divine watchmaker who creates the watch, winds it up, and lets it go and stands at a distance. That's not the God of the Bible. God redeems but never to leave those whom he has redeemed to do life apart from his continual presence and activity in the lives of his redeemed ones. God's proclamation through Isaiah and other prophets that he was ever present with his people as he led them out of Egypt, through the sea, through the wilderness, it lines up marvelously with King David's great prayer to God in Psalm 139 in which David praises God for what? His presence everywhere and his knowledge. He praises God for his watchful and active presence in every place of his creation. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Those are called parallel statements. Parallel questions in this case. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Spirit and presence are, are, they are synonymous in that parallelism. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, be, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Present and active. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. <laughs> the active, imminent, invisible, presence of God right in the midst of his people is over and over declared in God's word to be the person of the Holy Spirit. And let me just 
Let me just kind of throw this out there for your consideration. In John 1, 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. So when there were, when there were act, activities of God in the Old Testament in which God made Himself visible, which person of the Trinity is that? It's Jesus. When there are activities in the Bible in which the presence of God is not visible, which person of the Trinity is that? When the Bible speaks of the invisible God present in the midst of His people, providing for them, watching over them like a mother eagle hovering over her young, protecting them, fighting for them, directing their steps, instructing them, revealing God to them, the person of the Trinity who is in focus as that powerfully active, constantly working, invisible presence of God is the Holy Spirit. Not in a way that ever excludes the Father and the Son, but always in a way that is in perfect collaboration and cooperation with the Father and the Son. The fact that the Spirit is present certainly doesn't mean that the Father and the Son are not present. Read John 16. John 14 and John 16. All right, the ex and we'll talk about those in another message. The exodus of Israel from Egypt was God's national redemption of, of Israel. It was new life for the nation. For the people whom he loved with this steadfast covenant-keeping love. But it was not eternal life. That redemption was not unto eternal life. It was restoration, renewal of a life of covenant relationship with the living God here on earth that had begun with Abraham. The Holy Spirit worked in the redemption of Israel and the Holy Spirit works in the redemption of sinners. Israel's redemption out of Egypt was rebirth for the nation, but that rebirth was merely a limited and temporary picture, in fact, a foreshadowing of something far greater. That redemption pales by comparison with the miracle of new and eternal life that the Holy Spirit gives to every person who trusts in Jesus Christ alone. Indeed, as I understand it, even that trust, that faith, is an outworking of the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration, of rebirth, of new life in the hearts of sinners. Because before He does that work, we were lost and dead in our sins, and dead people don't have anything to offer. He has to do the saving. He gives life, everlasting life, to the dead. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us is the life of God given to the people of God. God gives that life to undeserving sinners only through regeneration, rebirth. And that regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. That rebirth is grounded in and it's based upon the poured out atoning blood of Jesus Christ alone. His death in our place, Jesus' death in our place, is the one and only sufficient payment of our eternal sin debt, our infinite sin debt to God. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
Beloved, the Son of God is the Savior of sinners. The Spirit of God is the life's breath of redeemed saints. The Son of God is the Savior of sinners and the Spirit of God is the life's breath of redeemed saints. Again, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Talk about a literalist. Jesus answered and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he, he made this, this stunning statement in verse 8. The wind, by the way, it's the same word for spirit in this passage. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The declaration that sinful men must be reborn in order to be made fit to dwell with God and His kingdom is not actually a new truth in the New Testament, right? I'm going to read two of the clearest promises of the New Covenant that are found in the Old Testament. And as I do, I want you to listen to what these two passages taken together declare about the work of the Spirit of God in the recreation of lost sinners that gives us the life which is personal knowledge of God and personal relationship with God. Listen to this. You know these passages, but listen, listen to the work of the Spirit. Listen for the work of the Spirit. Jeremiah 31 Verses 31 to 34. Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I love how this came up in the worship earlier. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares Yahweh, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord. Know the Lord. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares Yahweh, for I will forgive their, their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So how would God write His law on the hearts of people who had incessantly failed to walk in that law, to keep that law? How would God cause individual Israelites and Judahites of every station in life to know Him? To personally know Him? When they had proven over and over that they did not know Him? God answers those questions marvelously and clearly through the prophet Ezekiel. And his answer, his answer is that he will accomplish that heart transplant through the recreation of sinful hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 28. If you're ever talking to a, to a Jew 
And he, he doesn't think that the gospel is in the Old Testament. And here's a good passage to take him to. The gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in the one whom God has made our Savior alone. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord Yahweh, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, <laughs> but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. See, God is saying, okay, I sent you into exile, and that was supposed to straighten you out. It didn't. You went into exile, you went to those nations with those pagan gods, and you embraced their gods, and you profaned my name in their midst. Instead of being a witness for me, you profaned my name in their midst. He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Now, I've asked this before, but if, if, you're, if you're a Judahite in that, at that point, and you hear God say that, and he says, I'm about to vindicate my holy name, what do you think's coming? Yeah, you don't think it's going to be good. Now listen carefully. Here's how God will vindicate his holy name. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. What a promise! Jesus is the one who makes all that happen. The spiritual regeneration of sinners is the work of the third person of the Trinity on the basis of the work of the second person of the Trinity. He gives life to the dead. And He does so entirely at the decree of the triune God. No other will is involved in the regeneration of a sinner in any way. Only the one will of the one true triune God. This is the stunning life-giving truth that Jesus set before Nicodemus. When He said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Beloved, it is not the will of man that makes man the object of God's redeeming grace. It's the will of God. We don't choose God. God chooses us. The Holy Spirit gives new and eternal life to every man, woman, and child who was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. In other words, when there was nothing that existed except God. John 1, 11, 13 says, He came, He, Jesus, came into His own. Those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. And then listen, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus, the Son of God, purchased new life for lost, dead, 
sinners at the price of his own lifeblood. The Holy Spirit breathes that new life that Jesus bought for us. He breathes that, breathes that new life into every sinner who trusts in Jesus. That new spiritual eternal life is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer. The life of God in us. Even now, the Holy Spirit is the giver and sustainer of every breath that our physical bodies take. But much more marvelously, He is the breath of God's own life given to us in Jesus Christ, never to be taken away from us. The Holy Spirit has made us new. We've been recreated in holiness and righteousness of the truth. He took our hardened, hell-bound hearts and He replaced them with Himself. He, the Holy Spirit of God, is the continual, invisible, all-powerful presence of the living God in and with and alongside us every moment of every day. I pray that that will become burned into, seared into our hearts before this series is finished. The Holy Spirit is the life giver. He is the personal down payment of our inheritance, our eternal inheritance of God. The Holy Spirit is faithfully and lovingly leading us through the wilderness of this cursed world, just as He led Israel through the wilderness of Sinai. He will, he will walk in us and with us every moment of every day, and He will give to His beloved even in our sleep until the glorious day when our triune God lays hold of us whom He bought for Himself by the priceless blood of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit will bring us safely home to God. Loving Father, Almighty Creator, we stand in awe of Your Your powerful works of creation and recreation that you have accomplished together with the Son and the Holy Spirit. We stand in awe that the wretched and undeserving likes of us would be made bearers of the very life of God. Thank you for the miraculous regeneration, the new life that, that the Holy Spirit has worked in us who believe in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for so great the salvation. Thank You for Your promise to us as Your beloved children that the Holy Spirit who gave us that life will lead us and care for us every moment of every day until He brings us safely home to You. We pray this in the name of Your Son whose precious blood alone has bought our redemption. Amen.